you have your Bible, go over to 1 Corinthians. We are kicking off a new series going through the entire book of 1 Corinthians verse by verse. And today we are going to do some work. So I hope you came here excited to get into the scripture today because we are going to go through the first four chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to give you a little bit of setup so you understand what's going on. The Corinthian church was made up of people who profess faith in Christ, but their conduct, the way they were living, was out of step with the gospel. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to them to address this behavior and to show them and help them see that the gospel is the answer to every single one of these problems. He starts off by dealing with the issue that they were divided. And then he moves on to talking about how they were sexually immoral. They were social snobs. They struggled with the ideas of marriage, divorce, and they were participating in pagan rituals, all while claiming to be uh, people who were following Christ. They spent a lot of energy trying to one-up each other uh, in a spiritual sense. Who can, uh, who can be the more spiritual? And it caused chaos in worship gatherings, and they were confused about their gifts. They were confused about the moving of the Spirit. They were confused about uh, the purpose of those things. And they were also confused about the bodily resurrection of the dead. And there was just a lot of things happening. And Paul writes this letter to bring some clarification, to help them to get back on track, to help them get focused. And he's wanting to anchor them in the gospel. And it's funny as you read through 1 Corinthians because we're thousands of years removed from uh, this letter written to the church in Corinth. But every one of these uh, challenges that they face, you go, well, that sounds really familiar to the way that the uh, church may have been in our day and time, or I see how that connects. It's a very relevant letter. It's uh, something that I'm very excited for us to go through as a church, and I want us to see how the gospel is truly the fix. So in 1 Corinthians, which is where we're just going to hang out all day, so just get comfortable, um, 1 Corinthians, people are like, how long is this sermon going to be? Um, just hold on. We got a fish stick sing tonight, and you'll make that, I promise. I kid. All right. First Corinthians chapter one. Um, we're just going to read the first nine verses here just to give us a little setup. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother Sothenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Great positive opener, um, because, man, the, the thunder is coming. Uh, so if you've read 1 Corinthians, uh, you know what's coming. But he starts off letting them know, hey, I, I identify with you guys as Christian brothers. I'm not about to bring this correction. I'm not about to bring this level of, of, of opening your eyes and showing you your error and hoping to correct this and helping you see the truth without first acknowledging 
We're, we're brothers in Christ. Like, we are a part of the same family. Like, you guys have received the grace of God, and, and I'm, I acknowledge that. I fully know you guys have a lot of the things you need. You've been taught. You, you've been equipped. You have knowledge. I get that. And man, I, I love you. I care about you. And so we get that in those opening few verses of 1 Corinthians. It's very important because we're going to read some very difficult words from the Apostle Paul just a little bit later on. So it's really important to start there. And, and that's really good. Anytime you're dealing with any division, anytime you're dealing with any type of confrontation, you always want to start off looking for something to agree with someone on, something to connect, something to build a bridge, something to let them know, hey, I, I love you. I care about you. And that's what Paul is kind of doing here. And he's wanting to anchor them in the gospel. And the gospel, when we use that word, let's be very clear, the gospel is the good news that Jesus took the punishment we deserved and that by faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we can be brought into a right relationship with God to enjoy him now and forever. That is the gospel. That word means good news. We're not talking about all of the scripture. Some people use the word gospel to mean all of the scripture. Now, all of the scripture definitely does point us to the gospel, but we're not using those interchangeably. I want us to be very clear on how we're using this word gospel and the way that we see it in scripture. The good news of the gospel, the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, that he took the punishment for you and for me that we deserved, that we earned. And how are we made righteous in the eyes of God? How are we put in right standing? It is by faith, by faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, by faith that what he did on the cross was that substitutionary work where he took the punishment you deserved and I deserved, and it paid the debt that we owed that we could never pay in of ourselves. And therefore, faith in Christ has brought us into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul was affirming in this opening section that, listen, you've received the grace of God, which is interesting because he's about to address some major issues about division in the church. And he's about to address issues of one-upsmanship and of someone wanting to feel more special because of the experience that they've had or because of what they've done or what they've accomplished. And so it's funny here, you've received the grace of God. And so many times we forget that we have received the grace of God. And when we begin to entertain offense and we begin to entertain things that will creep into our hearts and into our minds and into our relationships that cause division, those things won't get very far if we'll just remember we're recipients of grace. You see, when we forget we're recipients of grace, we're just thinking about how wrong the other person was for what they did to us or how they treated us or what they didn't do, etc. But when we remember that, man, I've been forgiven, I have been shown grace. In other words, what is grace? Grace is me getting what I did not deserve. I did not deserve forgiveness. I did not earn it. I did not somehow qualify myself for it by my own deeds. No, it is by the grace of God that I have received this position now um, by faith of justification and of righteousness in the eyes of God. It is His grace that's free and His mercy that He's shown me. And when I forget that, I begin to look at other people differently. I begin to look at other people like they owe me something, and I begin to feel entitled to something. And I begin to miss the grace of God. So I think it's very key that Paul starts off by addressing 
the fact that you yourselves have been recipients of grace. So therefore, if we remember the gospel, if we allow our lives to stay anchored in the gospel, anchored in the grace of God, it will help navigate tension in your life. It will help navigate disagreements. It will help navigate what the enemy would love to, to, to split people apart and split relationships and split churches apart. It, it, the gospel will keep us centered, will keep us unified, will help us to walk through reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration and healing. That's the beauty of the message of the gospel is that when I remember what I've been given, then I can then be a dispenser of that same grace where I can freely give what I have freely received. Amen, somebody? All right, well, let's read the rest of this first chapter here. So let's uh, just buckle in. All right, you ready? All right, verse 10 of chapter 1. So based on all that, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. I don't know who Chloe's people are, but Chloe got some people. <laughs> Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is the name for Peter, Peter the disciple of Jesus, or I follow Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Crispus is like the coolest name. And if I had a do-over with naming my kids, no. Verse 15, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I just baptized those two guys. I think Paul is actually thanking God he didn't baptize anybody else. That's how intense this quarrel is. That's how petty this is. Paul's like, I'm glad I'm not too associated with this other than Crispus and Gaius. That's like the only people that I baptized among you. The rest of you guys, you can't go around, well, I, I was baptized with Paul. I was baptized with Apostle. No, 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 no. And they think it makes them more significant. And they were wearing this as a badge of honor, saying, oh, well, I do this, or I was baptized the right way. I was baptized under this person's ministry. So therefore, I'm more spiritual. Verse 15, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. And I'm wondering if he's going, oh man, I forgot about that one. But beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul's saying, I'm not even that great of a preacher. We, we think about Paul as this like really great orator, don't we? Like we just think like, wow, he could just captivate an audience. He goes, I'm not that great. I'm not even a good speaker. Because back in those days, especially in the Greek communities, which Corinth was set in Greece, that the, these Greek-speaking communities, man, you could make a full-time living being uh, just a special speaker. People would come and pay to hear you talk because of how eloquently you would speak. And Paul goes, I'm not even good like those guys you pay to go see for entertainment or uh, that you go. It would be the equivalent of us like wanting to attend a conference to hear like a, a really good speaker that would just blow us away and captivate us. Paul said, I don't even have that skill. Like, I'm not even that great because he didn't want the power of Christ to be emptied. He wanted people to focus on Jesus, not on how good he spoke. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, this isn't an intellectual argument. This isn't an intellectual debate where someone is trying to be convinced to become a follower of Jesus. It's not something where he's engaging them to defeat them in some sort of debate to where they go, well, I guess I got nothing else to say, so I guess your argument makes more sense. No, it's through the compelling of the Spirit, through the avenue of preachers and guys that aren't even that great as those trained Greek speakers. He said it's foolishness. If you look at this process, if you look at the way God has chosen to save people and to reconcile them back into himself, it's really a strange way. Because why didn't he arm us with like some argument to engage their intellect so we could somehow just speak solely to their intellect? No. He says it's not just in words of wisdom. He said there's something else happening. And God's using something to confound the wise even to the point where there were people who looked at the disciples early on in the birth of the church and they said, these guys are not even trained. Like these are untrained, unlearned, uneducated. These are fishermen. Like it's just confounding them. It's blowing their mind. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. So he's speaking to both here. He's saying, hey, you, you Jews, you guys are always looking for a sign because if you look at the Jewish history as you read all of the Jewish historians and you read all of the things that God did throughout the Jewish people, man, you see that God would work and there would be these signs and there would be something that would show them that this was from God. And the Greeks are like, yeah, we don't really you know, buy into that as much. Well, engage our intellect. And he said, listen, God, God uh, you, know, you guys are demanding signs and seeking wisdom. Verse 23, but we, we preach Christ crucified as a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Man, I believe if we could kind of summarize this first chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul is trying to help the Corinthians, and I believe that the Spirit of God still actively speaking to you and I today is to keep my eyes focused on Jesus, not a person, because that's what the gospel does. That's part of how the gospel fixes the issue of division, the issue of tension, the issue of relational tension and disagreement. The gospel helps keep my eyes fixed on Jesus because when I start looking at people, then all of a sudden I start getting into the comparison trap. All of a sudden I start getting into uh, one-upsmanship. I begin looking for ways to outdo other people or I look at other people as the standard in which I am trying to attain my own degree of feeling spiritual or feeling worthy or feeling like I'm doing something of significance. It becomes conditional that everyone around has to be at this level and man, I, I must either be failing or succeeding based on how I perceive what I'm doing based on what everyone else 
may be accomplishing or failing at. And if we live our lives that way, we're keeping our eyes on other people, not on Jesus. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? And when I remind myself of the gospel, when I remind myself of the grace that I've been given, it helps my eyes stay on Jesus, not on a person. Paul said, it doesn't matter who baptized you. That's not the point. He said, did Paul die for you on the cross? Was Paul crucified for you? No. He said, it's not about me. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And obviously, the Corinthians have gotten their eyes off of Christ. Just like you and I in our lives. We can get our eyes on this pastor, this speaker, this preacher, this author, this person that I really like, this mentor in my life, this person that I've elevated to this certain status, and we begin to follow them. Listen, your pastor should not be the main attraction. Jesus should. It's okay. You can amen that. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I don't want to be the main attraction. This isn't some show that we're putting on. This is to honor Him and glorify Him and appoint people's hearts to Jesus. You see, so many Christians get divided over who their pastor is or how spiritual they are or the person they learn from or who led them through their experiences with Christ, but the focus should be Jesus, not the person. When I get my eyes on how spiritual a certain person is or how spiritual a certain leader is, I should look inward and ask myself, is that person that I'm following or that's leading me or that I'm gleaning from are they leading me more towards themselves or towards Christ? Are they pointing me towards Jesus or are they just trying to gather some sort of per personality cult or some sort of personality following or amassing some numbers for themselves that makes themselves feel pumped up or makes themselves feel uh, some sense of worth because of the amount of people that they can say, watch their live stream, bought their book, follow them on Facebook. What's the goal? Is it to point people to Jesus? or, I mean, we need to ask that. When we began to be enamored with someone or we began to be excited about a ministry, we need to really search within ourselves. Why? What am I attracted to? Am I attracted to this person? Or is this person pushing me and pointing me and leading me towards Christ? Amen? Let's, get, let's keep reading. Chapter 2. We're just going to plow through the whole thing. It's only 16 verses, so uh, you can hold your breath by the time that we finish. Uh, <clears throat> And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Isn't that beautiful? Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit 
who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, there's a ton here in this that we could talk about. But as we look at what Paul is trying to communicate and the heart of what he's trying to communicate to the church in Corinth, he's trying to talk to them about this uh, idea of growing in wisdom and what they think this pursuit of wisdom is all about. And the heart behind it is humility because humility creates a teachable heart that is mature in Christ. It is about humility because he said it's actually those people who are puffed up, who think they know everything, man, they really don't understand because they're looking at it with a natural human mind. But if they were really spiritual people, they would be able to discern what God's doing or what God was, was trying to show them through the person of Christ. But they weren't able to see it because those spiritual things are only discerned spiritually. They're not things that are discerned or reasoned with in the natural mind. It's not where we're just trying to engage your intellect. He said, listen, I didn't come to you guys with a bunch of words so that you would be impressed. I came to you with the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You saw lives change. You saw your eyes being opened. You saw the power of God moving among you so that the testimony of God uh, would be confirmed and you would see this thing was real. You, would, you experienced this. You saw this. You knew that what we were saying was true. And then he says, but if you want to be wise, he said, man, there's nothing wrong with, with wisdom. And I, and I want you to be wise, but he's about to tell them, I, I want to speak to you in terms of wisdom, but I can't because you guys are still infants, because you're still fleshly, because you're still thinking about this thing in a way that you're going to benefit from it and gain from it. And you're going to somehow rank up. You're going to level up um, in the eyes of other people by being a more spiritual person and they're missing out on the key and the key to growing and the key to actually working through division is humility i mean if you want to grow if you want to work through division if you want to walk through um uh, a, a a time of reconciliation it takes a great degree of humility because pride would say i'm right you're wrong but humility says what can i learn from this how can I help the other person? How can I serve them? Even if you know that you're right and they may have just outright wronged you, you still approach them with grace and humility instead of looking to argue or looking to make your point or looking to just make them feel stupid or make them feel like they're somehow inferior. Approaching them with humility, approaching learning with humility. In other words, it's not what you know and how wise you perceive yourself to be that qualifies you as mature. Some people would think, oh, maturity is directly connected to this idea of longevity. And some people think, I'm a mature Christian because I've been in church for 30, 40 years. And that's what people will think. Like, that's the, that's the baseline. You know, like once you've crossed that threshold, maybe it's that 20-year mark or maybe it's that, you know, 30-year mark. I don't know. Maybe you get like a coin or a pin or a watch or, you know, a plaque. I don't know. And, and some people think they're mature simply because 
they've just been hanging around church and Christian people and Christian circles, and they have been completely saturated in Christian things, they think that makes them mature. Some people think they're mature because of what they know. They've read a lot of books. They've read the Bible through X number of times. They have attended this many types of events or had these types of experiences or they serve in this capacity and they have this type of responsibility. All these different benchmarks that we will use to qualify ourselves as mature, uh, right here Paul kind of dispels that way of thinking. And he's trying to show us really the true path. And I believe that that path is the path of teachability and humility. It's not what I know, but it's the recognition of I don't know yet what I don't know. And, and, and what if, what if I'm wrong? You ever thought about that for a minute? What if, what if I'm wrong? I, Lord, I want to pursue you because I want to know who you really are. I want to know the real God, not my version of God that I've somehow crafted and created, because I'll tell you what, if you would have asked me 20 years ago, to explain to you what was most important in the life of a Christian and explain certain texts and certain scriptures to you, and then you were to fast forward 20 years later and you were to ask me some of those same questions, I bet you'd get very different answers because we're growing. That's why Paul said, I'm working this thing out with you guys. Listen, I'm not like elevated up here. He said, I'm with you in fear and trembling. <laughs> what does that mean? That means I'm working out my salvation too. Like, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm right there in, 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 in the ditches with you. He said, verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Listen, it wasn't because I gave you a great speech. It wasn't because I got the bass all riled up. No, it, man, I'm growing. I'm learning this stuff, too. He understood. Listen, I was the guy that persecuted the church. He understood. I, I, I need grace. He understood, I, I need Jesus. He's trying to, to show them this level of humility, even saying, like, I didn't die on the cross for you. It's not about you just following me. It's about you learning and growing and becoming mature in Christ, not, not, not going through this uh, season of, of, of division by trying to figure out who's right. You see, one of our values at Word of Grace is that we are willing to give up what we believe for the truth because scripture alone defines truth not our ideas and, and that sounds great and we like that and amen all day long until you're faced with something you've got to give up when you read in the scripture and your ideas and your thoughts and your methods and your practices and your tradition have always been this way and then you read in the bible and you go oh hmm what am i going to do with that now i'm at the crossroads we like we like saying we're willing to give up what we believe for the truth until we're faced with something. Well, society's going this way. Society likes these things, but the Bible, uh, what am I going to do with that? It's hard. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say it's easy. It's hard because now you're in the tension. But am I trying to please God or am I trying to be right in my own eyes? And if you're trying to be right in your own eyes, that's the easy path. That's the wide path that leads to destruction. The narrow road is going, oh man, this is going to be tough, but I know this is right. And, 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 I, and I can't deceive myself and fool myself into thinking that now this is okay because I've seen the truth. And there's freedom on that path, amen? Come on, somebody. There's freedom on that path, the road less traveled. Freedom like you've never experienced, but there's also a weight that comes with it. A weight where your heart breaks for those whose eyes have not been open to see the truth. It's hard when you have loved ones who are not seeing the truth, isn't it? 
it's hard when you want them to see so badly the truth. And, and, and here's the thing that we've got to remember. Every one of us are in process. You're in process, I'm in process, we're all in process. And some of the things that God has helped you and led you to see, it took you years to figure that stuff out. And you're going to be upset with your neighbor or your parents or your friends or your brothers and sisters because they're not figuring out just because you sent them a blog article? Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Part of loving people is being patient with them where they're at. Not looking for that silver bullet that's going to change the situation that's going to take care of it. Hello, somebody. Not looking for that one YouTube video, that one blog article, that one message by Pastor Derek. I'm telling you, you're in process. Our job is to do what? Is to pray, speak truth and love, and walk with people where they're at, love them where they're at, and challenge them to grow from where they're at. Because you're not the goal and I'm not the goal. I surely am not the goal. Some of y'all are wondering what this thing on my head is and you hadn't heard a word I said. <coughs> I went snow tubing yesterday and my last time down I took a tumble and it hurt. So now that we got that out of the way, I'm not the person to follow. I said, this will be cool. Hey, watch this. <laughs> Which are Redneck's famous last words. <laughs> so the goal is not to follow me and be like me. No, it should be pointing people to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that takes humility, transparency, authenticity, going, I don't know that. You know, you don't have to know everything. It's okay. I hope you don't expect me to know everything because I don't. I, I've learned some things that God has shown me that I've grown in in Scripture, and I want to teach those things, and I want to do the best that I believe that I can do and be a, a diligent student of the Word of God to present what I believe Scripture is actually saying, not what I want it to say or not what would just make you feel good, but the truth. And if that makes you feel good, awesome. And if it challenges you, awesome. Because that's what it's supposed to do. Amen? But we need to remain teachable. And Paul shows us that nothing else matters outside of Christ and himself crucified. That's what he said here in verse 2. He said, I claim to know nothing among you except Christ and himself crucified. What a humble statement. You know Paul knew a lot of stuff. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, this guy was trained under the best that you could be trained under. And if anyone could boast in his knowledge, it would be Paul. But instead of boasting in what he knew, he said, I don't know anything except Christ and himself crucified. In other words, nothing else really matters. This is the main thing. And he's trying to help this church navigate a time of division. And he's trying to help them navigate their own lack of humility and their own lack of grace to one another and their own lack of love, which really, as we're going to go throughout this entire book, throughout this series, you're going to see over and over again is that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself really is the key to fix all of this stuff because it points us to Jesus and what matters most. Because a lot of times we just get caught up wanting to be right. Let's read the third chapter. Remember, he was trying to help them to understand this spiritual wisdom, and then he segues out of that idea and having the mind of Christ into this. But brothers, <laughs> I'd love to give you this wisdom. 
but I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to you. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's letting them know, guys, this is a process. This was my role. This was my, my, my part in your life. This was Apollo's part in your life. This was their role, one not being more significant than the other. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day of the Lord will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You see, as we look at this, we, I believe Paul's bringing them back to understand what matters most. He's trying to help open their eyes to see that if we keep Jesus at the center, that's the goal here. Because we, as a church, want to be the type of people who are keeping Jesus at the center because we believe Christ alone is the hope of the world. He's not going at this problem or this challenge with worldly wisdom. He's going at it by bringing them back to the main thing, and that is Christ. He's, again, trying to get them to see that it's not important who did what, 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 the, what, the, what the name of the person that you were listening to was. He said, we're just servants. Don't you understand? And he said, and whatever is built, whatever's built in your life, man, if, if it's legit, if it's real, man, at the day of the Lord, you're going to know. And everybody's going to know because the Lord knows. And it's going to pass through this test. It, did, it, did it pass the test or was it just something that you built on your own foundation or your own way or your own type of thinking or your own value system? Or, or, or did you... 
Or did you build your life upon things that were solid that maybe this person gave you or this person led you to believe or, or helped you see through Scripture? And these things were solid and provable and testworthy and worthy of, of building a life, building a marriage, building a family, building a legacy upon that, that glorifies God and points people to Jesus. He said all those things, I mean, if, if, if it's not sustainable, it's not going to make it. If it's not something that's going to last, and he said, I'm trying to give you the good stuff. I'm trying to give you what's going to last, what's going to pass through the fire. And so is Apollos, and so is Peter. So what does it matter who you're following? It's about Jesus and himself crucified. We don't build our lives around other people. Amen, somebody? Because if we, listen, if we do what happens, and this happens in churches all the time, and especially in, in Western churches because of the way that we think in the West versus the way people think in the east we we're, we're, we're very pragmatic and we think very much in formulas and steps and and we think uh, give me the steps give me the formula help me make it better tell me what step one step two step three step four is and i'll do it okay thanks for that i'm gonna go do that thing and that's how we think this works and a lot of times we miss it because we will elevate the person who's giving us the formula above jesus christ and we'll elevate the formula above jesus christ to where we're not even really interested in Christ, we're just interested in what Christ gets me. And if we're focused on this world and that's all we're about, we're missing the value of the gospel. We're missing delighting in the Lord. We're missing being satisfied and content in Christ alone and nothing else. If all we're doing is looking at Christ as a pathway to just enhance my experience here on this earth, to be a good person, to be a nice person, to be kind and gentle and a good employee and a good spouse and a good parent, a good grandparent. If that's the goal, we're missing out on what really matters because all of those things are good, but they should come out of Christ and flow from Christ, not using Christ as a way to attain those things. Amen, somebody? You see, so it's not about that person. It's not about finding the secret formula. It's about delighting in Christ and Christ being enough, because He is the hope of the world. Let's finish this out this morning. Chapter 4. Man, when we're done with this, you're going to read four chapters of the Bible today in church. It's almost like church is getting back to the Bible, somebody. All right. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 4. This is how one should regard us. He's talking about the apostles, you know, he's talking about He's talking about the teachers, the, the, the spiritual leaders, Apollos, Peter himself. That's who he's referring to. This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court, because in fact, I do not judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted because it's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. 
Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you? For I think that God has exhibited us as us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He, he tells them, like, you want to talk about how to, how, to, how to look at us? This is how we're looking at ourselves. We're not trying to elevate ourselves. But in our world today, man, it's so easy to elevate those positions and those people and go, oh, wow. This is my person. This is my, this is my, 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 my person I'm following. I'm, 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 I'm following after. And we want them to be this great spectacle and this perfect person and, and, and to be this, 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 this shiny emblem of Christianity. And Paul says, we're like refuse. That's pretty gross. <laughs> that's pretty extreme. But that's what he says. That, he said that's how we're looking at ourselves. We're servants, you guys. He's trying to use extreme examples to help people understand this is not about being puffed up and being elevated. Even the, the, the apostles, they're saying, we don't want to be worshipped. We're not wanting to be, be followed in this way and looked at in this way. This is not our hope. This is not our desire. This is how we want you to view us. We're servants. We're servants, and we're trying to serve you in this way. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed. So he's saying, I'm not writing this so you'll be like ashamed of us to be shamed to be named among us, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I was not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. And that's gangster right there. I love that. Verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? It's almost like you choose, Jack. When I come and see you, are you going to have figured this stuff out and I can come and just enjoy being with you? Or am I going to have to come and give you all a spanking? <laughs> and that's what, am I going to come to you with a rod or am I going to come to you with gentleness? So you guys fix this. Get back to the gospel. Get back to what matters. You see, Paul reiterates this idea of how spiritual leaders should be viewed, how they should view themselves. This isn't some spiritual competition, amen? So here's what I want us to get today, is that keeping Christ at the center practically means that I passionately pursue knowing God more through His Word, through prayer, through Christian fellowship, through church gatherings, through serving one another, through living generously, and intentionally saying yes to greater things for the purpose of knowing and experiencing the heart of God. Because if I know and I experience His heart through that type of pursuit, 
not for the end game of elevating myself, but rather elevating Christ and my understanding of the heart of God. I will keep Jesus at the center. If my heart's aim and my heart's plea is to point people to Jesus and to know Him more, if that's my pursuit, and I'm not just getting involved in all of these Christian activities to elevate myself, then I promise you, at my heart level, at the core level, I will be building on a strong foundation. But if my heart's motive is to elevate myself, to get involved in things that are Christian, things that are Christ-centered activities, but my motive is this is another merit badge. This is another, this is another uh, uh, award. This is another thing I can boast in. Then I'm missing the point and I'm doing the same thing that the Corinthians do. And if you have a church full of people like that, it's not long before you're going to experience the sting of division. But if we can be a church full of people loving God and loving one another and keeping Christ as the focus, having grace and patience for one another, working through disagreements, working through challenges, talking with one another at a very basic human level because we love each other and we believe in one another. That church will thrive and when the enemy comes in like a flood, a church full of people like that who are loving God and loving one another will rise up against anything that the enemy would want to throw at them and it will be a testimony to a watching world that will see a love that is very attractive, that will see a community of Christ-centeredness that is very attractive, a place where you belong, a place where you are loved, a place where truth is spoken, and a community of people who love each other right where they're at. Amen? Amen. So if we keep Jesus at the center, the beautiful thing is that relationships can be healed, forgiveness can be given, Grace can be shown. Compassion will increase. Love will abound in your life and God will be glorified. And we will continue to be unified. We will work through challenges together. We'll grow in maturity. So here's my exhortation to you today, church, to pursue the heart of God like never before, to check your intentions. Why are you pursuing his heart? Are you pursuing him out of a desire to be looked at by others as more spiritual? Are you pursuing his heart to maybe learn that thing you wanted to learn to be able to win that argument with that atheist coworker or with that atheist family member and you're looking for the silver bullet or are you pursuing God and your intentions are to know him more so your life will be centered around pleasing him because I want to know how to please you more. I want to know how to live for you. I want to know how to honor you with my life in my marriage, with my family, with my finances, with the way that I work with my hands, with the things I engage in, with the things I enjoy, with the relationships I have, with the way I navigate challenges, keeping Jesus at the center because the gospel does fix division. The gospel does fix division because it anchors our heart and what Christ has done on the cross for you and for me. And it changes everything. That's why, man, I need to remind myself of the gospel every day like Martin Luther said. Because I have a tendency to forgive it every, to forget it every day. I can drift. You can drift. I can drift. That's why Christ-centered community is so important. So we can sharpen each other, push one another to, to be reminded, encourage one another, exhort one another. 
That's what we're called to do. And I believe that that's who Word of Grace is and who we're going to continue to grow to be. It's a beautiful thing. I love doing the Next Move class when I'm able to tell people that I've been in church my whole life, and this is my 20th year of pastoral ministry. Um, I've been doing this 20 years. This is all I've really ever known. I've had a few little odd jobs here and there, but I've been in full-time pastoral ministry. Someone's been calling me Pastor Derek in some state somewhere for 20 years. And as I look back on that and as I, as, as I see that, I see how God has been so gracious and I see how God has been moving. And in all the churches I've ever served in, in every place that I've ever been, I have never seen a church healthier and more unified and on a better course than Word of Grace right now at this time in this season. I can honestly say that. And that's not a PR move, I promise. I, I, I legit believe that, see that, feel that, and I, I believe you do too. Um, I've had people come here for the very first time um, who didn't really know anything about us come up to me and say, Pastor, something special is going on here. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And I look at them and I said, and what you're feeling, it's real. And if you hang around, you'll actually figure out that it's real, right? Some of you, you've hung around. We love each other. We're loving God. We're not perfect. Man, we don't have all this figured out. Good grief, we don't have all this figured out. But I have never been a part of a church that behind the scenes, is it, it's actually healthy. Like we're not pulling the wool over anyone's eyes and trying to make them think things are away or the staff really do enjoy one another. No, they do. We love each other. The leadership actually gets along. There's not board infighting and we don't walk around with, you know, bruises. I promise I didn't get this from a board meeting. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I mean, I love, we, we love each other. We're for each other. We're not wanting to help each other. Sometimes we speak difficult things and, and hard truths, but at the end of the day, we go, man, we love each other and we, we're, we're excited about what God's doing and it's special and that's reflected in so many different ways. And I just know and which is one of the reasons I think it's important to preach these kind of messages and teach these things to the body. I know that the enemy is not happy about that. I, I know that the enemy is not for that. I know the enemy is not for the type of wonderful things we've been experiencing and, and that we've been seeing God just do over and over again. And so I want to give you some equipping today. And that was my hope and my intent. Not because we're in a big state of division, because we're not but that when the enemy comes, you'll remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 4, to not think more highly of yourself than you should, to walk in grace, to walk in love, to walk in forgiveness, to remind yourself of the gospel. God, help us do this. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide and help us to navigate our daily lives, our, our decisions, what we allow our heart to be entertained with, the things that we think about over and over and over again in our minds. And Lord, if there are things we need to do to continue to strengthen and shore up unity in relationships within the body of Christ or in other areas to show compassion, love and grace and mercy and forgiveness to others, help us to do that, to speak truth. Help us to do that because we can't do that, Lord, in our own strength. We acknowledge that. We acknowledge it's, it's, it's not just more education, Lord. It's a, it's a greater dependence on your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to continue to lead, guide, equip us with gifts that come from you to do only what you want to do in us and through us, to bring the most glory to God and to win the most people to your kingdom, Lord. 
thank you for it all, in Jesus' name. Amen. But before you go, number 6 and 24 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless you, word of grace. You're dismissed.